Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Time now for the balloon party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yes, yes. Well, I didn't even have my headphones on, and I, I, I still bet Jackson that I timed that yes, yes, yes. It was so impressive. Was it really? Yeah, it was really impressive. I was having a conversation with Randy Carricker. I was having a conversation with Matt Rocchio about the pizzas eaten, about owing Randy money. <laughs> I told him I sent it from Florida. I didn't send it. I'm just trying to get away. It's a big ruse. <laughs> yeah, this whole thing. I walk down the hallway. There's John Hewlett. I owe him money. I go, I got to start the show. <laughs> yeah. I'm like the guy in a Bronx tale that Chaz Palmentari schools Cologino about. Yeah. Do you like the guy? No. For $20, you got him out of your life. Welcome in. It's Balloon Party, driven by Munganas, St. Louis Acura. Alton Toyota, Timothy Michael McKernan, Action Jackson with you. We did a two-guest Tuesday last week. How about a two-guest Monday today? Absolutely. What do we have, Jackson? Tell the people what we have. MLB.com writer for the Cardinals, John Denton. I really like that John Denton. Oh, he's great. Love John Denton. Uh, 10-15. And then uh, athletic writer, our Blues insider himself, Jeremy friend Rutherford. Friend of the feather. Very much so. True friend of the feather, Jeremy Rutherford at 10-45. All right, there you go. That's what we have on the captain's log for today's edition of the Munganess St. Louis Acura Alton Toyota Balloon Party. Uh, John Denton at 10:15 talking about the weekend that was for the Cardinals. Jeremy Rutherford talking about the Blues eliminated from the playoffs, but Jordan Cairo in that situation with Craig Berube. Not a great night Saturday night, and he comes back and scores two goals yesterday against the top team in the NHL. So that's coming up at the end of the program. But at the start of the program, ladies and gentlemen, this is when I get out of the way and everybody gets out of the way because it's time for the Little Piddles little weekend wrap San Diego up. State preview. <laughs> no, I don't think I have any... Uh... NCAA tournament questions, which is crazy as we, as we're coming up on the final day of the season tonight. So, but uh, I don't have anything in that. But I do have some Cardinal talk. All right, ladies and gentlemen, was this the call again? Little Pills weekend wrap. All right, there it is. After one full weekend of baseball and two victories on the weekend, what are your first impressions of the Cardinals so far this season? Any issues you see developing? Trends you are liking so far? <sighs> okay, I'm going to give you a thing I expected. Thing I didn't necessarily inspect in thing that I love. All right. right. What would love you like it. first? I'm going to do a uh, thing that you love first. Yeah, because it's so rare. It's like you, I know. Know, you walked <laughs> in and I was wearing a toupee and you're like, something's different. <laughs> uh, um, thing that I love is the pitch clock that I was not expecting. I was not expecting. I recall saying on this very show, I feel bad for baseball because now it's at a point in the game's history where it's just trying crap to continue to be relevant and it's not going to with young people, and it's not going to happen. And instead, the pitch clock—it's it, not about. It, it, I, I, I think the thing that gets talked about the most at this point, Jackson, is the data that's saying how short the games are relative to previous years. But you and I talked about this on TMA this morning, and this is what is the bigger difference to me: the pacing of the game has a rhythm to it that. Even if it is an out and runs aren't scored, there's not all this downtime. One of my contentions on the length of baseball games hasn't been what I think has gotten the most attention, which is the time of the baseball game. NFL games are longer than baseball games, oh, yeah. even pre-pitch clock. Mm -hmm. And college football games are even longer than NFL games. But you don't hear people complaining about the length of NFL games 
And only recently have you heard complaints about the length of college games, and that's more from the college administrators than it is from fans. Why? Because the product is exciting. And so now what I've noticed is both somebody who's watching Cardinal games, and I watched a bunch of Red Sox and Orioles and Braves and Nationals, all kinds of baseball here since the season started on Thursday and watched some Yankees and Giants, is the following. I used to be able to flip around and have about 40 seconds in between pitches. Right. Don't need it anymore. Yeah. There is a pace to it. And so you had a game yesterday with the Cardinals scoring an S-load of runs that went, what, two hours and 25 minutes? Yeah. I mean, it is, it is, it's not only reducing the time of the game, Jackson, but it's increasing what feels like the excitement of the game. And I am, as a guy who got into broadcasting because of the game of baseball and just kind of felt my interest level slipping away, I realize it's a three-game sample size with the Cardinals and, you know, at this point, four-day regular season. But this is a material improvement. You also see an increase in the number of stolen bases, which isn't necessarily pitch clock related. All I think the way that the pitchers and catchers can hold runners on is impacted by the pitch clock. And I love both those things. I grew up on the stolen base. So I, what I love, I love the pitch clock, and I was absolutely wrong on what I thought it was going to do and what I thought it was. It has been a substantial improvement. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, I think it gives a total pace, rhythm to the game that you didn't have before. Uh, I like what you said about keep like the keeping runners on. Like You can't just throw over four or five times, which gets ridiculous when you're watching the game. It really has made a, a material difference, and I just enjoy watching the game more knowing that every 15, 30 seconds I'm going to yeah, be seeing a pitch. I agree with that. Yep. And that's so clutch because baseball is a game of standstill. It's very static. So if you can at least establish a rhythm like that, then you're going to bring more fans in and keep them there too. I have been a huge fan of this thing. Big fan. Uh, Jackson, uh, I had what I like, what I don't like, I don't want to say what I don't like. It's what I expected. I expected the Cardinal lineup. When I saw it again, it was last week against the Orioles when they were playing their final spring training game. And I saw that lineup, and I go, man. Now, I know a lot of these ifs have to hit, but even if Goldschmidt and Arenado, who didn't have huge weekends, even though the Cardinals put up a bunch of runs, even if they have some slight regression, and I expect a Goldschmidt regression, I expect... uh, Arnado to have a progression. I'm owing on him for MVP this year. Uh, but there's seven guys around him, all who have Contreras in the lineup, and that was a wonderful thing to see yesterday to see him back. Totally in there. agree. Yep. That there is not a point in the Cardinal lineup that allows the opposition's pitcher to breathe, that allows the opposition's manager to strategically try to get to. It is potentially relentless. Now, a lot of the names that are in the Cardinal lineup in 2023 were were around the last few years when they struggled when they got to the postseason. And the Blue Jays' strength is not going to be pitching. The Blue Jays, if they are a championship team, they certainly could be. What I think they were a 92- or 3-win team last year in a very difficult division um, is, is going to be offense. With that said, they did that against Bassett yesterday. Yeah. He's legit. Absolutely. And Gaussman, you know, that was a game extenuating circumstances with the weather on Saturday, and we'll get in Flaherty start. And uh and then and then Manoa on Thursday. This is a this is a good test 
and you saw the results. And you also saw it without Goldschmidt and Arenado doing everything. Take your pick of whoever you would say is the offensive MVP at this point. We want to go with Donovan. You want to go with Gorman. Probably Gorman. Uh, yeah, I mean, Gorman's raking. Donovan's hitting like And the crazy. thing that, that John Denton, who's going to join us here in five minutes, said, and I guess this was maybe last week or two weeks ago, he said, if it weren't for Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn, all of the talk at Cardinal Spring Training would be about Nolan Gorman. So this isn't like a fluke one-off. If you're ever playing daily fantasy sports or you're playing a, a year-long fantasy baseball season, one of the things to do as far as an edge goes, and you can do this with betting too, is to look at who had a really good spring but isn't a big name. So yesterday, Jackson, who did I pick up for the Southside Seaman Fantasy Baseball Club, the New York Yankees of fantasy sports? You're damn right I picked up Seth Lugo. Why? <laughs> you could have given me 10 million guesses. <laughs> because I knew he had a great spring. I knew he was under the radar, and I knew he was facing the Rockies, and they are one of the teams that have decided not to participate in the 2023 season. And I think they might get an invite to the National League Central, actually. I think if there is yeah. a if there is some realignment, the National League Central might get together and go, say, these Rockies would fit in perfectly oh, with everybody. So, uh, and, and on top of it, they'll pay superstar Hall of Famers to come and play for it. They'd fit in great in the Central. Yeah. So, with that said, that's the play. And from my standpoint, what the Cardinals have going on right now there is what you would expect offensively. And that is exciting because the guys who are hitting uh, aren't necessarily the guys who carried the team in 2022. And then when those guys don't hit in the postseason, they're done. Gorman is a guy who carried over from the spring. What you would expect that you thought going in, well, Miles Michaelis didn't have a good Thursday. Jack Flaherty, I've never seen somebody have a, a five innings of no-hit shutout baseball and get lit up on social media, <laughs> but that's Jack Flaherty and that's St. Louis in 2023. What a magical time it is. Yes, I recognize he had seven walks, but the fact that he didn't allow any runs, considering he gave him seven runs, I would think as a Cardinal fan you'd be happy, but then I realize he tweets stuff that you don't like, and so you got to bitch at him. But either way, what the Cardinals have going on out of the gate uh, and also the caliber of baseball, big fan, love it. Yeah. So it's it's been fun to watch out of the gate. And, and, and again, this isn't doing it against the Pirates or the Reds. This is doing it against the Blue Jays. And then tonight you get a chance to see the Braves. Yeah, absolutely. When you can out-hit a lineup that features so much young, powerful talent and out-hit them. I mean, geez, out-hit them the whole, seemed like the whole series. Obviously, Thursday was what it was, but the Blue Jays were getting on some blue pits. Cardinals were ripping it on Sunday and scored how they had to on Saturday. I mean, no, I don't think anyone hit a ball to the warning track Saturday, given the weather. But you, you get an opportunity like that error, score on that. And then uh, uh, I can't remember who hit the ball down the line on the uh, – might have been Gorman who hit the ball down the third base line to score some runs too. But get it how you can, and if you can do that against the Blue Jays, that's uh, the main concern last year was they couldn't hit against quality pitching and quality teams, and now they've kind of flipped that script. Obviously, short sample size. We will uh, carry the discussion over as John Denton is going to join us in the next segment. Plenty more to talk about in a huge weekend in sports and a monster week coming up. NCAA tournament championship game tonight. I think there was more anticipation around the country for the women's game yesterday 100%. Uh, than San Diego State and UConn. UConn seven and a half point favorite. Got the Masters, the live golf players, the PGA Tour players gathering and. Getting ready to get it on. A terrible forecast in Augusta for the Masters, and that has me all upset. Uh, but we're going to talk about the Cardinals in the next segment with John Denton. That's coming up. And then Jeremy Rutherford at 1045. This is Balloon Party, driven by Mungana St. Louis Acura on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back, Balloon Party. Driven by Mungana, St. Louis Acura. 
101 ESPN, Tim McKernan, Action Jackson with you for one hour of radio magic and then BK and Ferrario takeover at 11 a.m. And it is our pleasure to welcome to the program. At this point, I think I'm going to call him a friend of the show. Yeah, I believe he is. John Denton, MLB.com, Cardinal beat writer for MLB.com. John, good morning. Tim, I'm honored. Thank you so much. Uh, good, good to have friends. Yeah, look at that. <laughs> Friend of the show. It's Lovely. mutual now. Uh, John, you called the shot. I recall talking to you, uh, whether it be last week or late the week beforehand, and you said if it weren't for Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn, the talk of Cardinal Camp and Jupiter would be Nolan Gorman. And it wasn't just because of the numbers he was putting up. It's because the adjustments he made in the offseason – that the Cardinals and Gorman saw major league pitchers make adjustments to him that he made this past winter, and now we're seeing the fruits of that labor uh, work out both in spring and the first weekend of the season. What did you see from Gorman this weekend, and what are you aware of that he did in the offseason to get himself in the spot where he had a great spring and so far a great start to the regular season? Yeah, you know, Tim, I wish I could do the same thing with the lottery numbers for tonight. That would, that would have been very nice. But, no, I mean, everybody in that locker room, uh, Brenda Donovan is his best friend, and he said, you know, they, they exchanged messages and calls, and, and then he sent Brenda Donovan a couple clips of his swing, and Brenda Donovan was like, holy cow, this kid's ready to have a breakout season. He's ready to take that next step. And, you know, we were, what, a week and a half, two weeks into spring training, and Ali Marmol said, that's a different guy. Uh, everybody could see it. Uh, you know, he totally adjusted the the way he swings at the high pitch. Uh, last year, the word got out pretty quickly. You could get him out with the high fastball. Uh, he couldn't catch up to it. Anything low, he could drive out of the park. Uh, but, but the high fastball gave him trouble. You know, Major League Baseball is kind of a copycat league. And, you know, once, once people saw that they could get him out with a high fastball, everybody threw that to him. And it kind of led to that last six weeks of bad baseball from him. He got sent down to AAA Memphis. Uh, he basically said, hey, if I don't make a change, I'm never going to stick in Major League Baseball. And he worked all offseason on flattening out his swing, being able to foul off that out, that high pitch or being able to lay off of it and then wait for a pitch that you can, can drive. And, you know, we saw it yesterday and uh, two home runs yesterday. I think even more telling than the two home runs, he has four walks so far. And that tells you that he's seeing yeah. the ball. That tells you that he's laying off that high pitch. I mean, that's that's very telling. And people have to realize this kid is 22 years old. He's still a couple of weeks from his 23rd birthday. Not all growth is going to be linear. There's going to be side steps and step backwards uh, with with people this young. And like I said, he's not even 23 yet, and he's already made this this big adjustment, this big improvement. So the kid could be on the way to you know becoming that that slugger that the Cardinals hope for. That's the thing about this. I think, and you made reference to it when we had our conversation last week, John. Is, is not only the performance Walker had, the glamorous plays that Wynn had, but the fact that they are 20, I think all of that combined to make them the focal point. And we had seen Gorman last year. But uh-huh. he is only 22 years old. So there's a there's a young core here that goes beyond Walker and Wynn and Tank Hence. I mean, this is, this is bigger than that. Speaking of which, we had a guy a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago, going into the 20 season before COVID hit that was the focal point as the young future, and that's Dylan Carlson. But even with Newt Barr out on Saturday, he wasn't the guy who got the nod. Burleson did. Burleson has a huge weekend filling in. Carlson does get a chance yesterday, and he performs. Let's talk about this Cardinal outfield and what we saw from the first series because you saw guys across the board contributing. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's impressive that everybody they put in. You know, like you said, uh, Burleson had a three hit day yesterday. He had a home run and two doubles. Uh, Carlson hadn't played in the first two games. Comes out and gets three hits yesterday. I mean, they have an abundance of talent, and you know it. It's going to re- be interesting. It's going to be fascinating to watch how Ali Marmol juggles this lineup. And you know, he's talked to guys about you know being a good teammate. It's easy to be a good teammate when things are going well, but. What about when you're not in the lineup? Or what about when I pull you for a a pinch hitter for somebody else? Then are you going to be a good teammate? And, you know, so far, so good. Uh, You know, Tyler O'Neill had a day off yesterday. Uh, Jordan Walker's played all three games so far. But, I mean, they have five major league quality outfielders out there, and they're going to have to juggle these guys, and they're going to have to use the DH sum for the outfield. And they're going to – Burleson's going to have to be a – you know, a, a pinch hitter late in games. Dylan Carlson's going to have to be a defensive replacement late in games. And, you know, for it to work, they all five have to be okay with their with their roles. And, you know, it'll be fascinating to watch how this thing plays out, which three emerge, which, you know, and, and, and whether they can fit all five into those spots. John, the thing that stands out to me, not just before they even started playing a game, was looking at that lineup last week when they played their final spring training game in Sarasota against the Orioles. I was like, man, there, there isn't there isn't a spot like when the opposition gets to the seven spot in the Cardinal lineup where they can kind of breathe. The lineup has the potential to be relentless, where there isn't a weak spot, and that's operating on the premise that Contreras is in there. That it kind of restarts, not at the top of the order, but at spot number six or seven, and then it comes at you with another wave of guys who can get you, whether it be with power or getting on base, for example, like Tommy Edmond can at the bottom of the lineup. But everything starts with the top and the Cardinals having this lead-up caliber hitter in, in, in Brendan Donovan and what he's doing. And even though Gorman has a couple of home runs and the big numbers yesterday and Burleson had the big day yesterday, it's Donovan who's been game in, game out, and he has 11 total bases, and he has yeah. been the fire starter for the Cardinals. What do you think of what Donovan is doing? Yeah, Don, Donovan's incredible. You know, I mean, here's a kid who led all rookies in all of baseball in on-base percentage became the first, uh, you know, last season in on-base percentage, became the first rookie in Cardinal history to win a gold glove. And then what did he do? Three days after the season ends, he's at the Marucci Bat Center in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, working on his swing, getting the swing analyzed. He's got a heavier bat now. Uh, he increased his bat speed without giving up that, that bat control that he had last season. Uh, you know, he he's right there, too. It, it's amazing. This kid has so much hunger, so much... Uh, uh, you know, desire to get better. I mean, you know, you hear the phrase resting on their laurels all the time. Gorman, um, Donovan, those guys didn't rest one bit. You know, they worked all off season. They got better. And, you know, as, as fans, baseball fans, they, they tend to, to focus on the, the stars in the lineup. You know, we all know that Arenado and Goldschmidt and Contreras are the heart of that lineup, uh, three, four, five. But it's all about the, the length of a lineup gets so overlooked often. You know, it's the most under, underappreciated thing in sports. When you have one and two and then six, seven, and eight that can hit, can get on base, and nine with Tommy Edmond, I mean, that, that, you, the pitcher doesn't get a break. There's nobody in that lineup where you say, okay, I can, I can breeze through this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's, that's why they have 41 hits right now. That's why they've scored 22 runs. It's small sample size, but that was a good team they beat this weekend. You know, that Kevin Galsman and – and Manoa, that's two really good hard-throwing right-handers. And to hit them, knock them around the way they did, Chris Bassett said yesterday, I've never had all six of my pitches get hit hard the way they did yesterday. So it's 
it, it's significant coming off the three pitchers that they just faced. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. It is, as you said, small sample size theater, but still, that is a good team they played. And then that gets us to the conversation about the other side of the game, and that is the pitching. Michaelis, obviously, with a, with a rough opener. Jack Flaherty with an absolute bizarro world stat line to shut them out, not allow a hit, but have seven walks. Uh, your analysis of Flaherty's performance on Saturday, and what did the Cardinals and Jack Flaherty have to say about it? You know, it, it, with Jack, his outings, there always seems to be something weird go on. And, you know, Jack was like, uh, he was conveniently wild, I guess you would put it. You know, he, he tweets out the weird uh, video of the Joker, and then little did we know that was going to be a preview of the game. I mean, Jack throws five of his first six pitches were strikes, and then he walks three in a row. Yeah, the two leadoff men get on in the second. The two leadoff men get on in the third. Uh, it, was, it was bizarre, you know. I think that there was some weird stat that came out. He was only the 16th pitcher for, since 1901 to have seven strikeouts and not give up a walk or, or not give up a hit or a run. So, you know, that just shows, uh, you know, Jack chalked it up to uh, wildness, maybe the weather, uh, you know, first start jitters, things like that. But, you know, he, he knows he got lucky. You know, usually you can't get away with seven walks. Usually you get killed when that happens. And he knows going forward that, you know, he's got to throw strikes. The alarming part for me was Jack's, Jack's velocity was way down. Now, maybe that was because it was 35 degrees at, at you know, at first pitch uh, windshield. But, you know, the second inning, Jack threw 11 pitches, and only one of them broke 90. He, you know, he really couldn't spot his fastball. He had to rely on his slider. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see his velocity and his ability to spot that fastball in the next outing. Yeah, that's something. I was I was watching the game live and following you along on Twitter, and you made that observation that he was over 90 in the first inning, and he was breezing through until he lost Guerrero after getting ahead 0-2, and the Blue Jays just weren't fishing for that low outside pitch once he got ahead on him, and that's what contributed to that compounding in the first inning. But then that's one issue, that strategy, and you tip your cap to the opposition if they're not going to bite. But the drop in velocity, I'm going, oh, no, here we go. Uh, did he address that at all following the game as to what was going on? Did he blame the weather? How did how did that come off? Well, you know, he, he to his credit, he said, hey, uh, Kevin Galsman didn't have problems with the weather, so I can't use that as an yeah. excuse. Just, you know, I, I think it was first, first in general. And we all know with Jack Flaherty, the whole key is spotting the fastball because then if he can spot the fastball, then he can use the slider. You can get guys to chase and – he literally couldn't throw his fastball for a strike, but so he was having to, you know, go to his go to his knuckle curve that he throws. He was going to his slider every pitch, and you know, if, I guess if you know you can't throw it for a strike, you just do something else. But you know, uh, you know, the next start's going to be game one in Milwaukee. That's a tough environment to play against. Uh, you know, not the greatest lineup, but that's we all know that's a that's a high stakes game in the National League Central. So it's going to be interesting to see can Jack Flaherty land that fastball because that's going to determine success or failure for him going forward yeah you're right i mean the cardinals aren't starting with your college football let's ease into it with a few uh, fcs teams i mean it's blue jays braves and then at the brewers uh and then later on in the month at the mariners at the giants and at the dodgers so we will have a pretty good idea of what this team can do a month into the season and it won't be the byproduct of a favorable schedule so far so good especially with the offense anxious to see how the pitching does against this braves lineup we'll get a chance to see it once again this evening it will be woodford going up against morton and then steven matz makes his state season debut tomorrow night day game miles michael is back on the mound john always appreciate 
appreciate the conversation. Thank you so much for the time this morning. Appreciate it, Tim. Thanks for having me. Thank Hopefully. you. That's John Denton of MLB.com. Jeremy Rutherford's going to join us coming up in 15 minutes. We finish off the back half of the Lil Piddles weekend wrap-up. I guess we're going to be talking about defense, doggies, defense. Yeah. Defense, doggies, defense. That's coming right. up next in addition to whatever else Lil Piddles has for us. And then Jeremy Rutherford at 1045. This is Balloon Party, driven by Munganess St. Louis Acura at 101 ESPN. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the balloon party on the Tim McKernan podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back. This is Balloon Party driven by Munganess, St. Louis Acura, Alton Toyota. I was out at stlouisacura.com on Saturday. I'd love to see you go there as well. Great people. Jamie Burkhardt, Clayton Patterson, Peter Munganess, the whole staff at Munganess, St. Louis Acura, our title sponsor here on the show, John Denton of MLB.com with us in the previous segment. If you missed it, podcast, Dobbs Tire and Auto Center's podcast, uh, talking about the Cardinal weekend that was really the first half of our show has been on the Cardinals. Second half will be the back half of the Lil Pedals weekend wrap-up and Jeremy Rutherford with us coming up at 1045. I don't want to go deep diving on this situation with uh, Kairou and Craig Berube. So we're going to talk that over with uh, JR. Hey, uh, we have your chance every day this week to win a pair of tickets to see KISS on October 25th at Enterprise Center. Tickets for the End of the Road Tour are now on sale. Remember End of the Road, Jackson? Mm. I, I don't. I don't. Just like the phrase, or is it the song? The jam, bro. The jam. Is it by KISS? No. Oh. Boys to Men. Oh, okay. I like Boys to Men. What's your Mount Rushmore Boys to Men songs? Go. Couldn't give you one. Then I feel like you're lying when you say you like them if you can't give them out rush. I've heard some of their songs. I, I, I'm not really good with the titles of it. I'll make love to you. <laughs> is, that just, is that a statement or is that one of their tunes? That's a song, bro. You know, you soiling the sanctity of my marriage vows on 101 ESP. You want to do that on HD2, be my guest. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was a Q3 <laughs> thing I was hoping to do. Uh, end of the road. I guess I go Motown Philly, and it's so hard to say goodbye. I mean, did I hit them all? I think I did. But that's boys to men. This is Kiss. <laughs> and that's what we're giving away. It's the very last tour ever for the legendary Kiss. You can win free tickets now by texting in 314-399-9646. You can also find a bonus chance to win Kiss tickets under the contest page at 101ESPN.com or on the 101 mobile app. Jeremy Rutherford, 10 minutes. Uh, Jackson, what is the back half of the Lil Piddles weekend wrap-up? we got to be talking doggies at some point, aren't we? Oh, it's coming up right now, Tim. Nice. The dogs finally got served. Their first loss of the season, but began the season in outstanding fashion. Well, they didn't look outstanding in the second half. The penalty call and the no call late in the game certainly played a big role. Did you feel City's loss was because of the no call, or do you think that they squandered too many opportunities early? Um, certainly missed opportunities early, and I would say they missed opportunities real late after being dominated in the second half. I agree with your assessment that in the second half, it's the first time I feel like I've watched them maybe since the Austin game um, where I'm like, ooh, they're getting dominated, and it's clear. Uh, And eventually there was a Minnesota breakthrough, albeit on a call that 
I felt had to be made. I thought that call had to be made. Yeah, it, it I, I, I don't know what that, that was. Uh, it was really unfortunate at that point in the game. But if it were the shoe were on the other foot, I would say it needs to be called to benefit the dogs. This one goes against them. But they had two golden opportunities late in the game and just missed it. And I'm sure they'd be the first one to to say it. Kloss, first time he missed an opportunity, yep. and there was an even better one with like five six minutes left in the game. Yeah, Adeline, extra Adeline. extra time. Yeah, you say that with such confidence. I, I just I, chose not to. Say it. It's a tough number and that sixteen. Was, that was a veteran move on I my know, part. You're right. This well, is that was a great example of, of broadcasting what to do and what not to do. Right. But I, here's the thing. So we hadn't watched the first episode of Succession yet, oh. and so that's what uh, my betrothed, who you just really insulted. Yeah, I know. Apologies. Thank you. Uh, wanted to watch, so I put on my laptop the Dowgies. Oh, good and play. I'm watching, and I'm I'm yelping. <laughs> When they miss those opportunities, and I'm thinking to myself, God, here's a team I didn't know a damn thing about a month ago, and I'm emotionally invested, and I have to have this moment of clarity, like Tony Soprano after he took what did he take the peyote? I think that's he what did. He took, he took peyote, and that's Vegas. what I needed. That's what I did in my basement on Saturday night. And I go, you know what? If they lose this, they'll be five and one their expansion team, and everything's going to be all right because I was so emotionally invested in the game. But yes, I felt like it was the right call. Uh, I got a call that could have benefited him with Parker certainly could have been made. I understand that. But the the call and the, the penalty kick I thought was the right call, even though it was anti-dog. Yeah, it was. I, it seemed to me like a lack of communication on the back line there because they had the ball cleared pretty much, but the guy slid, took him out. It's going to happen every once were in a while. Were you there? What were you doing on Saturday as the most eligible bachelor in uh, St. Louis? I was watching both the UConn-Miami uh, game. Oh, which what a game. was really, yeah, it was never really a game. And then also uh, the dogs game. At a, at a, we were just at a. Were you a cocktail lounge? No, nah, just speakeasy. No, nah, just over. Ragtime. <laughs> yeah, that's you nailed it. That was a ragtime bar. <laughs> Getting really into some big band. Um, all right, next question. Now I want to preface Uh-oh, this. Sounds like it's a bad question. No, no, that's I think it sounds a, like. I think it's an interesting question, but it's not an NBA question. I just want that to be known. It's not an NBA question. But the NBA has agreed on a new CBA that will install an in-season tournament, and the winnings team players will each receive 500k if they win. Do you think this is something that would help Major League Baseball and the NHL as well? If they have success within the NBA, will the other two leagues need to consider it? So they're just going to have a tournament in the middle of the season? I think it's November, so close to the beginning of the season. Yeah, they do. It's kind of borrowing from soccer, European soccer. They have in-season tournaments. I make no secret of the fact that my, well, my first love is baseball, but my current love is the game of golf. I just rarely talk about it. This week we'll probably talk about it since it's the Masters. With that all said, the reason why the Tiger and Phil thing didn't really work is because it's just like they're giving them another X amount of dollars that everybody knows they don't really need. Mm -hmm. They don't need. Well, maybe one guy might have needed it. Who knows? (laughs) But either way, $500,000 to most people, I know not you with right. the do thing but right. is is a huge amount of money but for an nba player it almost can be an inconvenience that we got to do this yeah. it depends on who you are right but it, it's more for like the guys who won't be playing at the end of the bench i don't know i it, it it doesn't do a thing for me it doesn't do a thing for me let me guess you love it well i like the idea of it because it does give some i don't know it, the problem with it like why it works so well in Europe for soccer is because there's history behind it and there's pride and prestige in winning the FA Cup 
or the Carabao Cup, as they call it in the Premier or the, in England, I should say, it has nothing to do with the Premier League. It's England, but it does it won't, won't have that same side of prestige. It'll just kind of feel manufactured. But I'm curious to see how it works and how the players respond to it. Uh, I don't think it's like a slam dunk, no pun intended. Uh, but I do think it's an interesting idea to kind of create some more buzz at the beginning of the year or in the middle of the season where it can get a little monotonous as the season goes on. I feel like the NHL and Major League Baseball also have that issue. I mean, from my standpoint as a fan, nothing to lose because I'm not right. necessarily watching the NBA in November anyway. But, you know, I, I just, I'd be surprised if it takes. But, hey, I'm the guy that, oh, pitch clock, great, good <laughs> luck with that. Your sport's dying. And now I'm in love with it. So maybe it's a good thing if I say <laughs> it's not going to work. If you don't approve it, it's yeah. <laughs> to, to, might could be beneficial. I want to make sure we get the full uh, Jeremy Rutherford experience, so let's break now. JR coming up next. Uh, any questions, comments you have for him, but I want to talk to him about uh, Barubi, Kairou, and what JR tweeted during the game, uh, and then how Kairou responded. But that situation here is this season comes to a conclusion. That's coming up next. Tim McKernan, Action Jackson with you. This is Balloon Party, driven by Munganess, St. Louis Acura, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Welcome back, Balloon Party 101 ESPN. It's driven by Munganess, St. Louis Acura, and it is a pleasure to welcome to the program, ladies and gentlemen, a friend of the show. This is the show is nothing but friends, isn't it, Jackson? It's all friends, all hanging out. Nice. Jeremy Rutherford. Hello, friend. Hey, boys. Uh, I was having a pretty good day, but now to find out that there might be an NBA tournament in November where... <laughs> gazillionaires are going to make a gazillion more. What a great day to, to get that news. Jackson, I feel like that might part. be directed at the Lil Piddles weekend wrap-up in which that was not a question about the NBA, except it was a question solely about the NBA. Well, I you know, I, I felt like JR was being disingenuous with his excitement level for it. I felt like it was sincere. Well, this is honesty and media, so mm-hmm. I hope he comes clean now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got to... I'm with Tim on this one. No, uh, that was totally disingenuous, sir. <laughs> <laughs> well, honesty and media. Yeah, it's honesty and media for you. Uh, JR, I have a deep dive request on uh, not necessarily the state of the Blues as the season officially will not be going to the postseason, although I feel like we kind of had a sense of that back in January. But uh, yesterday with the, uh, the the shootout loss, that'll wrap it up officially. Okay, fine. But going forward, Jordan Cairo is under contract. This is a big deal. You tweeted out uh, that there were some words exchanged, and then the next thing you know, he goes out and scores a couple goals. Where is this relationship? Where is Cairo? Where is Baruby with Cairo? What do you got for us on this? Yeah, yeah, Tim. Let's break it down. Let's go back to Saturday's game uh, against Nashville, and obviously the cameras caught the barking between Craig Baruby and Jordan Cairo. You back it up before then. Uh, Nashville scores a shorthanded goal on that play. Jordan Kyrou kind of mishandles the pass from Kapanen, then gets beat back. I know after the game he said that if he does anything on that back check, he's going to get a penalty, which is probably the case. But still, you'd probably like to see a little better effort there on the back check. Then you see a play right before the intermission, right before the exchange between Baruby and Kyrou, where you know it's a tough puck to handle, I think. But I think from Baruby's perspective, Kairou needs to be more ready for that puck, and I think he probably brought it to his attention. And and then you lead to the uh, the arguing on the bench. You know, I think this happens a lot, probably a lot behind closed doors that we don't see or hear about. I think that over the years, 
kind of the offensive-minded star players like a Kyrou, like a Brett Hall, like somebody, you know, they're going to bump heads with the coach. Now, having said that, you know, covering the team week after week after week, you do hear that there are rumblings that uh, Craig Berube and Jordan Kyrou butt heads a lot. But I, I point to a relationship where Craig Berube is a guy who wants you to work and he wants you to, to be responsible and he wants to push Jordan Kyrou. I was in Arizona with the Blues, uh, I guess, a month ago, and I said to Craig Ruby, how's the relationship with Robert Thomas and Jordan Kyra? And he said, fine, these guys want to be pushed. Tim, I just think in situations like we've seen here lately with Jordan Kyra, that's what Craig Ruby's doing. He's pushing, and, uh, you know, it's up to Jordan Kyra to respond the right way. What about when it when it gets down to it, whenever the time comes that the Blues make a return to the Stanley Cup playoffs, and obviously we hope it's sooner rather than later, and Craig Ruby's behind the bench and Kyra's on the ice – is what good is this player if you can't ever trust him in every night? And even with the high production, would he ever be a guy who would play 18 or 19-plus minutes in a playoff game if that trust isn't there, if that uh, trust on the defensive end of the ice isn't there? Is that something that you think through, you've talked with people through? Because I feel like that this is something that we were discussing at this time last year, and we're still having the conversation a year later. Yeah, and quite honestly, we could be having the same conversation in a year. You know, yeah. I still think he's he's a young player and I think that that contract number is going to go up big time to 8.125 million next year and with that there's going to be even more expectations and even more of a microscope on on Jordan Cairo and are we ever going to see that defensive game or that awareness that uh, in-game awareness with Jordan Cairo get to the level that everybody wants to see it especially Craig Ruby? We may never see it. Uh, but I think that what you see is the upside. What you see is 36 goals. What you see is pulling a team back down 3 nothing against Boston yesterday and tying the game. And, you know, that's what he's supposed to do. That's his job. But do the Blues, you know, let's look at that game yesterday and say that it was of some significance and Jordan Kyra pulls you back in it, you know, to sneak into the playoffs. You know, that's the type of player he is. So in the meantime, all they can continue to do is push him, the Blues, the staff, Craig Bruby. And, again, I go back to how Kyrou responds. Like, I wasn't particularly keen on his response where he says it's just a little heated argument. Hey, Craig Bruby's the coach. Respect the coach. Come out and say, I need to do what the team needs and what the coach is looking for, and I didn't in that situation. So, you know, I think these are different generations than in the past. You cover a Keith Kachuk, a Dallas Drake, you might get a different response. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but I, yeah, Tim, I think that uh, it's all into the into the response of Jordan Tyra and how he continues to better himself with this situation. Jeremy Rutherford with us here on 101 ESPN. He joins us on Balloon Party every Monday. And uh, that gets us to a name you just brought up, Jim Montgomery. And I'm reading your Monday morning mailbag uh, and, and seeing you talk about uh, some of the questions. And one of those questions that you got from uh, a reader on The Athletic is how much impact Jim Montgomery had uh, on the Blues and the loss of him. We've seen what he has done in Boston. So much of the focal point going into the year and now that the season has been a disappointment is that David Perron wasn't back but my question is how much did Jim Montgomery leaving which he knew was going to happen at some point but how much impact did that wind up having on the Blues and how much impact do you think he has had on what has been this record-setting pace set by the Bruins yeah I think significant but uh with a disclaimer you know he was the uh head coach uh, I'm sorry he was the assistant coach and he was in charge of the penalty kill 
And obviously when you're in the room with the coaching staff, you have input on everything. I mean, if they're talking about line combinations, things like that, Jim Montgomery's going to probably have his two cents and Craig Bruby's going to listen. But by and large, X's and O's, he was in charge of the penalty kill, and the penalty kill was fifth in the league, and right now it's 28. Yeah. So the, the penalty, penalty kill without Jim Montgomery has gone downhill. But in the mailbag, what I try to explain to him is it's the relationship. It's the coach-player. Like every morning skate, when the team takes the ice, you saw Jim Montgomery talking to two or three or four players. You know, Robert Thomas told me one time that he would give them three-game segments. Hey, in this three-game segment, I want to see this from you. And I think when, te- when times got bad, when they lost a few games in a row, player after player, Tim, told me that it was a text from Montgomery. Hey, keep your head up. You're playing well. So I think things like that. It's not to say that the current coaching staff doesn't do that, but Jim Montgomery just had a way with players. And the reason you can tell it in Boston is because of the way those young players are playing. Jake DeBrusque, Trent Frederick, all those guys are playing well, and I think it's that relationship with Montgomery that's helping out. Trent Frederick gets the thing uh, open yesterday with the one nothing uh, lead. How about that? Gets the goal in his uh, in his home building. That was cool to see. Yeah, uh, yeah and they, they ended up taking it away from him, though. They gave it to DeBrusque, and, and what's funny is I think that the, the Boston – Players were given DeBrusque uh, trouble. Because he took it away from Frederick. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He took it away from Frederick. Hey, I want to make sure I ask you about this, because this is uh, also in your mailbag, and this is I feel like this is the topic for Blues fans going into the offseason. Which defenseman, if any, uh, is going to be on the move? And uh, I'll let you tend to it, uh, but I have read what you wrote, and uh, and what you write about Tory Krug is certainly the thing that is the biggest takeaway from my standpoint. Uh, so go ahead, sir, on the Blues and moving any of these big deals with the defensemen. Yeah, Tim, obviously this is a hot question you get asked all the time. I think it's a situation where you got to look at where's there going to be interest. Like, you can have interest if you're the Blues and wanting to move a Tory Krug or a Nick Letty, but are there teams calling Doug Armstrong for that player? You know, I think if there's going to be interest in a player, it's probably going to be in, Col- in Colton Pareko. But do the Blues have a replacement for him? Do they have a guy they think can step in and eat those minutes? And do they feel like they'll miss Colton Pareko too much so, so they don't want to move him? They're not going to give him away for free. I, you're not going to see a situation where you see Colton Pareko go for a fifth-round draft, draft pick uh, just to move him. And how this works in with Tory Krug, there hasn't been interest to date that I'm aware of. Plus, he has a no-trade clause. However, if you're the Blues, if there's interest, if he's willing to move that no-trade clause, I feel like he's the guy that's probably most replaceable in terms of he's, he's been banged up, they have more guys on the left side. You're hoping to get a Scotty Pernovich healthy. Mm-hmm. Pernovich ha- hasn't showed that yet, Tim. But but I think that if you're trying to move a guy, if there's interest in Tory Krug, that would probably be the guy that the Blues would like to move if they could. There it is, Jeremy Rutherford, every Monday here on Balloon Party. And you can hear him throughout the week on 101 ESPN. JR, I know BK and Ferrari are going to break down this uh, NBA tournament in November. I think they're going to do all three hours on it. So uh, you got excited. (laughs) You got excited about it on our program. So make sure you stay tuned because this is going to be three hours now of NBA in-season tournament. I, I always listen to the station all day long anyway, but now I'm not getting out of my car. Yeah, you can't leave the car. You just stay in the parking lot. <laughs> Thank <laughs> Thanks, you, JR. Man. Yep, see you, buddy. There he is, Jeremy Rutherford with us here on 101 ESPN. All right, Jackson, what's on your right? Are you going to that, you back to that ragtime bar to watch the uh, yeah. San Diego State-UConn yep. game? Yeah, I'll put on my ascot. Um stirrups i don't know what else you wear to a ragtime i think it's ascot and stirrups yeah and then uh yeah and just watch college basketball because that's what everyone does at ragtime i like your san diego state play 
UConn is really, really good, but I think San Diego State just plays a style that's a little unusual. It's, it's, it's why I was on Princeton early on in the season. Yeah, it's right. the same kind of reasoning. Just you know? It kind of plays weird, and I think that they might have some issues with it. And if it's a close game, seven and a half is like that sweet spot where yeah. free throws won't necessarily impact it. Yeah. Jackson's on the uh, the Aztecs. He gave you San Diego State and UConn on Friday. I mean, this guy's on a heater. Yeah, chalk go. chalk play, but sometimes chalk pays. Oh, wow, wow! I feel like that should have been our lead. Yeah, yeah. That if you take, don't listen to anything else on the show that I said. Just that. Yep. And then you'll think I'm great. <laughs> <laughs> Time for us to shut it down. BK and Ferrari are coming up next for Action Jackson. I'm Tim McKernan. This has been Balloon Party, driven by Munganas St. Louis Acura, on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.